So now John's going to come up, Yay. and he is going to share about this special day. What is that special day? Well, I'll tell you. Hello. Good morning. Hey, everybody. It's great to see you. Happy New Year. Happy Three Kings Day. Do you know that? It's Three Kings Day. I'm going to talk a little bit about that today because it's kind of an interesting idea. We've completed 12 days of Christmas, and today is actually Epiphany. It's Three Kings Day. This is actually a big day in the traditional church calendar. Wraps up this season called Christmas Tide. And uh, some of us are familiar with that. I'm just kind of becoming familiar with it. It's interesting. I know that more typically in our culture, what we have is this really long build-up to Christmas, right? Starts like in, I don't know, August, feels like. <laughs> and then it builds and builds and builds and builds. And you get to December 25th, and it's like, okay, done. Enough already. I'm sick of these songs, you know, and that, that sort of deal. That It kind of wraps up. And after Christmas Day, we start looking to New Year's, and we kind of forget about the season. That's a little bit more of our style, I think, generally speaking around here in our American culture. But in the traditional church calendar, do you know today is actually the day that wraps up this whole season, wraps up the Christmas tide season that we've been in. In many parts of the world, the festivities of Christmas go right through until today, January 6th, which this year happens to be on a Sunday. I don't know if you knew that. Well, Sarah and I just got back from this very fun trip to Spain that we took over this break just last week. Hola, amigos. We had a blast, as you might imagine we would have. We certainly did. And Spain is one of those countries where January 6th, Three Kings Day, is big. There are parades. You've got celebration, fun, festivities. I mean, it just keeps going. So when we were in Spain just last week, even though Christmas morning, of course, had come and gone, the holiday spirit was still in full swing. And it was fun. Everyone's still looking, to, looking forward to that final act of the Christmas story, which in their minds is today, Three Kings Day or Epiphany. And in fact, in many cultures, January 6th is actually bigger than December 25th. I don't know if you knew that. I'm just learning this myself. I kind of heard about this, but I saw it a little more firsthand. For example, uh, kids, instead of putting stockings out on Christmas Eve for Santa to fill, in Spain and in many other countries as well, they put their shoes out on Epiphany Eve for the three kings to fill with presents and treats. What do you think of that? It's like, wait, we've been ripped off. I knew we weren't getting everything we could. Well, it's just an interesting idea that I've been thinking about a little bit. And personally, I've kind of really grown to appreciate and like this idea of extending the focus a little bit on this Christmas story for all 12 days of Christmas and all the way through Epiphany. I think there's some real wisdom to be gained as we consider carefully what happened just after the Christmas story, just after Jesus was born in that manger in Bethlehem. There are some powerful things to be gained from just dwelling a little bit longer on the wonder, the amazing possibilities that happened when God came to dwell among us, the impact it had then and that it continues to have now. So the three kings, that's the, the section of scripture we're going to look at today, the story, the part of scripture that underpins this story. We're going to take a look at it. So let's read this together. Um, I'll read it out loud. You can just listen. Here's where this whole thing comes from. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, there, uh, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. 
King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, quote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Spoiler alert. I don't think that's what he had in mind. Anyway, uh, after this interview, the wise men went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then they entered, uh, I think there's one last bit. Oh, ends there. It's an important last statement here. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So there you go. That's the story that underpins this whole day, this Three Kings Epiphany Day. What we have here are these interesting characters who enter into the Christmas story. The truth is, we don't really know very much about these individuals. Not a lot of details here. We do know that they traveled a long distance. That much is clear from the passage. We know that they felt compelled, they felt compelled to take this journey based on reading the stars, whatever that meant. We're not really sure. We know that they believe that this baby who was, uh, had been born was the king of the Jews. They seem to be convinced of that. And we know that they undertook this pilgrimage in order to worship him, to bring him some very valuable gifts. And what's most clear, I think, in the passage is that they were strongly drawn to Jesus. That much is clear. It says, when we saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. They were drawn to Jesus. So in some traditions, we call them kings. You know, like the old Christmas song, we three kings of Orient are, right? That's where this comes from. But actually, it doesn't say kings in the text. It says magi or wise men in this translation or astrologers. They were probably well-educated people and they, must, they had time to go investigate this scenario. So they probably were upper class and possibly they were royalty. We don't really know. We're not sure. I think it's also interesting to note that in this original story, the Bible doesn't actually say that there were three of them. We don't know how many there were. The tradition has been that there were three because that's the part of the story with the gifts, right? Like each, each of them brought one gift, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we think, well, each brought one, that's it, three kings. Which, by the way, these, question, you know, these gifts always beg the question, is this really what a newborn baby needs? Is this what the uh, first-time mother needs in her life, is gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Uh, you've probably seen this comic going around. Somebody sent it to us. After the three wise men left, the three wiser women arrived, and they brought fresh diapers, casseroles for the week, and lots of wine for the new parents. 
That seems right. So that's the story. That's the, that's the scripture story that underpins three kings. And what, here's what I find most interesting about this story. It's that the coming of this tiny little baby in some obscure corner of the earth immediately begins to have global impact, outsized impact. To me, I kind of wonder if it's like God just couldn't keep his secret. Yes, I know he had announced, you know, in a grand way to a few shepherds on some hillside in some remote part of Israel, but this was big news. You know, news that deserved a wider audience. So you can kind of imagine God just saying, well, you know, a little secret star action leaked out by proud papa. Or I don't know. But you get the sense that the word is getting out because here enter the wise men from this far country. And it's important to remember, I think, that up till now, the story of Jesus' birth had all been within the context of the Israelites, right? The Jewish people had been awaiting their Messiah, the genealogy, the prophets, they were all pointing to someone of great importance for God's people, the Jews. That's the context. So now, though, we have these Gentile people, these non-Jewish mystics from somewhere, just somewhere east, who are now also drawn to and impacted by the coming of Jesus. So although God appearing on earth as a human baby is set firmly within this bigger story of the nation of Israel, it immediately goes even bigger. It crosses these boundaries. It crosses cultures. It crosses ethnicities from the very get-go. Right, right from the beginning, that's what we see. The impact of Jesus is going to be felt across the entire globe encompassing all people everywhere over time and space, including us here today. I think that's quite interesting. So what can we learn from these wise men? Well, let's think of a few questions here. What, what kind of people decide to follow some unusual activity in the sky for a far-off country? Who does that? I mean, consider these, these magi are following what they believe to be a sign from God, and they're going to go on what had to be a long and very arduous journey to some unknown distant place. So why? Why? What kind of people take a trip like this? We don't fully know, but perhaps these wise men, perhaps they had yearnings in their hearts just like we do. Maybe there's something, some deep desire for just more that caused them to be willing to take this. We don't really know, but I suppose that probably makes sense. It makes you wonder, what would they have been looking for? What did they want? What would cause them on this to take this search? Was it a sense of wanting more meaning? Did they want a sense of adventure, perhaps? Or purpose? Some spiritual longing? Was it just curiosity? Well, we don't really know, but whatever it was, they were willing to leave behind the safety of what they knew to go on a journey into some unknown land. That much is very clear. They were willing to move forward without knowing the outcome, right? Because obviously the wise men, they didn't really know where this journey was going to lead them, how it was going to end up. They didn't have the answers to all of this ahead of time. I think we can learn a lot from that. And in the process of moving forward in faith, 
some really great things happen in the lives of these wise men, and I think in our own as well. In the process of moving forward in faith, even into the unknown, their hearts are going to be expanded. They're going to have some new adventures, for sure. They're going to meet some people that they didn't know before. They're just going to experience more of life, more of the world than they would have ever known otherwise. And what they're going to realize is that their own story is really a part of a much bigger one. And they're going to hear from God in some very surprising ways. They are going to grow, in other words. See, all of those things are what faith can do for us as well. That's good stuff. Here's the most compelling part, perhaps, is that they're going to get to meet the little baby Jesus. Right? They make it to the house. Apparently, the family's in the house by now. Did you notice that? Out of the manger, which... It's like, wait a minute, weren't we talking? Well, just leave that for a second. At least these wise men come and meet the baby. Perhaps they got to hold the baby. What would that have been like? Mary, do you mind? That's That's a memory. That would have been a curious moment. Seeing Jesus up close and personal like that. Can you imagine how a journey like this must have changed them? And it must have impacted others in their life. I mean, when, when they went home, when they returned to their home, do you suppose they began telling people about the story of what had happened? And the little baby and this whole story, I suspect so. Telling the story of Jesus to people from their own countries. And the impact of their journey, I'm sure, continued even after they got home. I mean, actually, here we are, 2,000 years later, and we're still thinking about it all considering, huh, what would that be about? That's a lot of impact. So the wise men take this risk to journey far from home and what they know. And what is the result of that, ultimately? I mean, what, what is the bottom line payoff for taking this risky journey um, with kind of sketchy... <laughs> Motives, really, we don't even know. What is the bottom line payoff? It's joy. It's joy. That's the deal. It says, when they got to Bethlehem, and when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. That's the big payoff. That's where this whole thing ends up. I I think that's very important to realize. The journey of following God, the journey of moving forward in faith is always meant to end in a place where we find joy. J-O-Y. Say it with me. Joy. That's the big point of it. I mean, listen, think of every Christmas service you've ever been to. What's the big closing song? (sighs) What child is this who lives? No, it's not. It's always joy to, right? It's joy. You got to end with this joy to the world. This is crazy. This possibility, if there's even a sliver of possibility this is true, that God entered a, wow, that's joy. That's where this thing goes. That's where our journeys of faith are meant to lead us into a place of joy. I think that's pretty exciting. So let me just end with a couple quick encouragements today. 
First off, to begin your journey, look up. Look up. It's, it's a handy and kind of obvious metaphor, but it is a good one. The wise men had their eyes on the sky. They were looking up, studying the stars. They were trying to discern and discover what messages God might have for them in the heavens and what it might mean for them. That's, that's indicative. That's of something important. There's a long tradition of, in spiritual language and in biblical metaphor to look up, right? Uh, the famous things like, I lift my eyes to the hills. I lift my eyes to the heavens. It's just an important reminder that rather than our, our gaze being constantly on ourselves and on our situation and on our circumstances, we want to be lifting our eyes regularly to the big picture. We want to look up. That's one reason that we go through a lot of time, energy, and effort to do this thing here called church, right? It's every week we try to create regular opportunities and encouragement where we can together lift our eyes, our hearts, our souls, lift ourselves up to God, lift our gaze, because that's where the best journeys begin. Look up. And second simple idea is this, take stock to take stock. Where where have you been and where do you want to go? So we're all beginning a new adventure today, right? And this adventure happens to be called 2019. We're all embarking on this thing today. And it's worth asking ourselves, well, where will our lives lead us this year? Where do we want to go? What are we hoping for? Where do we want to go? And how about maybe most importantly, how are we going to get there? Do you want direction in your life? Do you want directions? It's, you know, it's a little bit like Google Maps. If you want directions, there are two things that you need to enter. You know, what are those two things? Current location, destination. There's some, there's some obvious wisdom to that. What, how does that work in our lives, in our spiritual lives? In a moment, Sarah's going to lead us through this, uh, uh, let's say, a methodical examine of this question, these questions. Where have I been and where are we going? But if I, if I could just give a little quick uh, prime the pump questions to you guys right now. How about this, looking back. When I consider the past year, one thing I'm grateful for is blank. What would you say? Or, or this one, looking forward, when I consider the upcoming year, one thing I'm already hopeful for is... What? Let's play this out a little bit. Anybody, when you read that first one, when I consider this past year, one thing I'm grateful for is... Anybody? What's one thing you're grateful for about 2018? Family. Family? Shout it out. Health. What's that? Health. Health. River NYC. River NYC. That's not a plant. That's a legitimate. <laughs> Friends. New starts. New starts. Healing. Healing. Wow. Journeys. Journeys. Self realizations. Okay, so there's lots. I kind of expected someone to say, one thing I'm grateful for is that it's over. <laughs> but, and that would count too. How about this next one? One I consider the upcoming year, one thing I'm already hopeful for is what would you say? Anyone else? Change, renewal, Renewal. what else? Say again, 
completion. Wow. Again? Growth. I bet you could come up with lots, right? So let's, let's take a little bit more time. Uh, Sarah's going to lead us, like, as I said, through this exercise of, of digging in a little bit further into this idea of where we've been and where we want to go. So here's to taking a great journey of faith together this year. I don't know how to end it. That was that was my bit. My bit. That's your cue. Oh, well, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> so, as we transition into this new year, let's try and examine prayer. You know, I've had years where. I just want to go to the new year and wave the old year goodbye with a lifted finger. Have you ever had those years? But it's important as we're starting a new year to remember where the past year has brought us because that's our jumping off point for the new year. So we're going to do an examine prayer together, an exercise, a moment that's set aside right now just for you to have some quiet, some time for reflection, and making room for God to speak to you about your past year and the year ahead. I'm going to lead us through five phases of this prayer, and all you have to do is think, okay, I'll give it a try. On the back of your program are numbers one through five in the notes. And that is because of maybe at one of the phases, something that you feel like is significant is standing out to you. You'll have space to write it down. But don't worry about that right now. Let's start by just getting comfortable in our chair getting over any anxiety that I'm leading you through an exercise. It's just an opportunity to be still, reflective, and to engage with God in a way that brings you hope and life. If you feel comfortable, you can close your eyes if that helps you focus. So let's relax. And as best as we can, let's let the tensions that we brought into this room just slip away for a moment. Breathe deeply, noticing your inhale and your exhale. And as you breathe, remember that you are in the presence of God who is looking at you right now with great love. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you review the past year with a holy perspective, with wisdom, grace, and faith. Ask for the grace to tear yourself away from your own patterns of thinking and seeing 
so that you can see your life more as God sees it. You may see times when you failed, but God sees you as a beloved daughter or son who has a future and a hope. You may see your accomplishments, but God sees your deeper self, the person behind all the activity, a person made in God's image. And now we're going to move on to step two, reviewing the year with gratitude. As you use this holy perspective to review the past year, notice the good gifts in 2018. Name specifically things that come to mind and thank God for them. Nothing is too small to mention. And perhaps make them more concrete concrete by writing them down. And now step three, paying attention to your emotions. Think over the year again. And now notice your emotional reactions. What memories speak most loudly to you? What events, conversations, relationships, or activities bring up the most emotion now as you remember them? Ask God to help you linger with these emotions, whether they are pleasant or disturbing. Ask God to help you understand why you feel as you do. What God might be saying to you now. What can you learn about yourself or your situation as you dwell with God in your emotional responses? And now we're moving on to step four. While you're lingering with your memories and emotions of 2018, settle on one feature, perhaps a single event, or maybe it's a pattern of your own behavior that has come to mind as you reviewed the year. Whatever it is that has emerged, allow it to fuel your prayer. Don't worry about the other aspects of the year that you could think about right now, but stay with the one thing that has come to you with the most power and pray for the, from those thoughts and emotions. And now step five. Looking toward the new year. Imagine what challenges and blessings await you in the coming year. 
Think of important relationships, major and minor decisions to be made, skills to learn, habits to build, healing to seek, good work to accomplish. In your mind, make a list of highlights of the coming year, matters that you expect to take prominence in your life in the new year. Bring these to God now and ask for the graces and empowerment you will need. End your prayer, thanking God for the love, life, and holy possibilities. And now, as we emerge from this examined prayer, let's pray together these words. Glory be to the Holy One, and to Christ, and to the Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without amen. Amen. Amen.